He played eight test matches for South Africa, but in 2016 his playing career came to a grinding halt at the age of just 26, when he suffered a serious neck injury that nearly paralysed him. Five years later, former Springbok prop Julian Redlinghouse is the scrum coach at the Sigma Lions, grateful for his health and realising that he actually enjoys this coaching gig, much to his surprise. I catch him at home just outside Krugersdorp, where he says he likes to position himself close to nature. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle estate, so it's a big farm, probably around 60 houses on it. So, okay. yeah, it, it sounds fancy, it's not fancy, but it's flipping. Like, like I said, yeah, there's a zebra coming in to drink water outside our fence, so it's not bad. So, for us, we like the nature and we like farm and, and stuff, so for us, this is unbelievable. When we get a chance, we, can, we break out to uh, the Kruger, that's, a, that's the type of things we flip, really enjoy. So, this for us is, is really lucky. Is that part of your, your, your upbringing? I mean, have you always been passionate uh, about the bush? Yeah, yeah, my dad and then, well, I went hunting with my dad since a small age. It's a big passion of his. We actually went hunting this weekend, so fresh from my hunt. I've actually got some drovos. <laughs> drovos. Um, yeah, so it's, it's something that I love. And then fortunately, I married her. Uh, my wife is also very fond about nature. and So Kruger has a big passion of ours and, you know, just like this. She grew up on a plot, so for her, open areas is, is unbelievable. So give me a sense of what a normal hunt looks like and, and, and what, how it all plays out. Having not been on one myself, uh, what, do you end up, what do you end up shooting? And you, you, clearly you make your own bulltong and drew a horse. Yeah, no, I don't make it myself. I wish I could. But I guess it's, I, I think it's actually a tough job. But yeah, so I'm, for me, it's more about the outing for me than the literal shooting of an animal. So uh, normally it's my dad and, my, and myself and my boot, and that's the family. And it's obviously with mates. Also, it's a different hunt with your mates than with your family. Um, but it's the outing, eh? waking up early, driving to the farm on the ground. But if you hit the first dirt road, you have to open your first beer and then play some lacquer music, and then then the hunting starts. Eh? So it's a, you know, it's more the outing, sitting around the fire at night, and people telling stories and. That's the that's the lack of part about the hunting. It's just outside in nature. So that uh, that 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 care around the fire at night must be uh, must be lengthy and it must be fun. Yes, it is good. But I'll take you up. Then you'll then you'll um, you'll experience it rather than the year. It'll be worth it. So so Julian, you're 31 now, um, and you're a coach at the Lions. I mean, life's obviously thrown you a few curveballs, and we'll, we'll chat about the neck injury. But um, if you if you go back ten years as a young rugby player, do you think at the age of thirty one you you would think you'd be a, a coach with, with one of South Africa's uh, provincial franchises? No, not at all. It wasn't even in my plan whatsoever. I always said I'm definitely not going to coach after rugby. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, to answer your question, it's a definite no. Never thought I'd be involved in it. But I am enjoying every moment, and that's why I think I'm still involved, because yeah, it wasn't a plan whatsoever. Things just worked out that way, because um, I got involved after the injury, because I was still young with the injury. I think I was 26 or 26 so. 26 at the time, yeah. Mm. No, I was definitely not ready to get out of rugby by that time. So got involved, because um, as a rugby player, you get that contract insurance the first year anyway. And I was still 
trying to be optimistic and thinking I'm going to play again. So I stayed involved and started doing a little bit of things off the field for the players, for the company. And then when my contract insurance ran out, they said, okay, but they'll give me a job as like player representative. And yeah, from there, it just grew and grew and then started taking over the, 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 the scrum coaching and helping out the scrum coach at the time or the forwards coach at the time. And then just grew from there. It's like almost like naturally happened all the time. Um, so it was definitely not the plan. Even after I stopped playing rugby, it wasn't the plan to become a coach. But everything happened naturally, and like I said, now I'm really enjoying it. So, so let's go back to that neck injury because obviously it's a it, it's a big part of your your life and your career, and it's obviously dictated and, and played a role in, in where you are today. So it's it's five years now, almost exactly five years. So you know, short of a few months. Um, take us back to that day and your recollections of, of what actually happened and, and, and the aftermath and how, how it played out after that. Yeah, I haven't actually told the story in a while, so thanks for asking. <laughs> Can I refresh my memory a bit, Woody? Um, yeah, it was actually kind of such an uh, awesome time in my life. My wife was five months pregnant with our firstborn. She's now running around here, um, you know, four and a half years old, so it's crazy how the time has flown. But she was five months pregnant at the time. Um, I just played the first time against the All Blacks. Got it, got back into the Springbok mix again the weekend before. I think it was the 7th of October. It was the last test I played. And then my contract, my Springbok contract, it was the first time I'm going to be contracted by the Springboks. was that Wednesday before the 14th or the 15th when I injured my neck. That Wednesday, my agent phoned me. So everything was like playing out. It's almost like your dreams coming true. Everything's happening sharp at the moment. And then that Saturday, playing for the Lions again uh, against the Cheetahs in Bloom is when the injury happened. So obviously, in the moment, to, if I, the recollection of that is just remember taking the hit. And yes, everything was just pins and needles, my whole body. Um, like almost like when you hit your shock bone, you get that in your arm. But it was like my whole body was feeling that pins and needles. And then I remember lying there, my mom always used to say when I play rugby, and I'm lying, I was just moving my arms or something so that you can see I'm actually okay. And then I, I remember trying to, I moved my arms, my arms was okay, I could move my arms, but I remember trying to move my feet and my, my toes, and I couldn't feel it, and it was obviously a strange feeling. How can you be prepared not to have feeling? So I tried to move my toes, and I actually tried to help the doctors and saying, I can get up, I'm going to stand up now, I don't stress, it's not bad. But I couldn't move my legs or my toes and then flip. Then the reality, I think, hit me. And I remember just lying there praying and and saying thank you in advance that everything's going to be okay. Because um, you know, that's the only thing I could think of at the time is just to start praying. And, and yeah, from there, went to the hospital. A long story short, that evening they um, put me, they obviously took the x-rays and saw ship this. There was a dislocation, fractured dislocation. Um, but the, the 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 thing that I'm very grateful for is, uh, as the doctors explained it, it was dislocated on the one side, and on the other side it was like one millimeter away from dislocating on that side as well. And if that side dislocated, I would have been paralyzed completely. So it was why that story was like almost like a miracle. It was one millimeter away from being paralyzed. And as you can see today, I'm fully recovered. Obviously, can't play again, which is which is which is massive. I don't want to underplay it, but it's nothing compared. The loss of that is nothing compared to the loss of not being able to walk or run or move my arms or 
Um, so yeah, fortunately that night they put me in traction and they, the next morning they were able to do operate and I came out of the operation and my legs was fine and my left arm was paralyzed. Um, couldn't move my, couldn't even close my hand. There was no, no power, no strength in this left arm. Uh, that only came back after three months. I started being able to lift up my arm. I couldn't remember, couldn't do anything. Couldn't even turn my arm like this, nothing, nothing. This arm was dead. Uh, and the doctors, they didn't tell me at the time, but afterwards I said, that nerve, um, 80% or 90% of the time, when that nerve is damaged, it never recovers. And mine obviously made not a full recovery, but probably like a 90, 95% recovery. And, and they never thought that was going to happen. The doctor said there's very, very small chance of me ever using this left arm of mine again. So that's also something to be grateful for. So firstly, not being paralyzed completely, and then secondly, after, after the nerve damage, um, this arm fully recovered. Um, and actually, by the time my little one was born, I could hold in my arms and, and had the necessary strength by that time to, to draw with her. And now I can throw them in the air, <laughs> like I said, 95% recovery, uh, which is something to be truly grateful for. Tell me, uh, Julian, how, how do you think that, uh, you know, besides obviously the impact it had on your career and obviously, you know, it ended your, your playing career, how do you think that neck injury changed you as a person and did it change you as a person? Yeah, I think my wife would be good to ask this question because <laughs> uh, I think of that it's not me, but I think anyone in life that experienced like something hectic like that, it's almost that you become way more resilient. Um, so I really don't sweat the small things in life anymore. Um, I think once you be, and like I said, my injury is nothing compared to what a lot of people go through. But I think what it did give me is resilience in saying there's a lot of tough things out there. So I live, I, I try to live a life of gratitude and just being thankful. And, and there's a lot that is wrong in the country at the moment, like you know. Um, there's a lot to, to be negative about, but I think what that neck injury did to me is it doesn't help being negative. The only thing that helps is being positive and looking for opportunities and looking for stuff to be grateful, even though there's not a lot to be grateful about, or it seemingly isn't a lot to be grateful about. But if, if we really sit down myself and yourself and we suddenly think what we can be grateful for, there's actually way much more than we realize at any given time. So I think that's a, that, that's the main thing, and I'm actually grateful for that. Is is now you realize, um, or realize it more, is that this this life is so precious, and life is is actually so good. But we tend to see the negative, and I think what the neck injury done it, it made me see the positive more than the negative. Um, and I think it does it for a lot of people. If you talk to people that's been through traumatic things and um, life threatening situations, they come out of it way more grateful. Um, way more optimistic. Um, so I think that's the big change that I've realized. But I think my wife will tell you better because she says nothing is ever bad for you. And I said, nothing is bad because there's always opportunity. So we have this, uh, actually our psychologist with the lines at the time, Yanni Pitter. I don't know if you know of him or have met him, but he's a champion, made a big difference in my way of thinking. And there's one uh, thing that he always says is, I'll say it in Afrikaans, there's alles wat met my gebeur, gebeur vir my. So everything that happens to me, happens for me. Mm. Um, so that's why nothing is ever bad, because uh, there's an opportunity. Either, either you're going to learn from it and grow from it, or it's something that uh, happens lacquer, and it's something to be grateful for.
So you're part of quite a, a young coaching team at the Lions, uh, Julian. I mean, obviously, you know, Warren Whiteley's high profile having been in the next Lions and Springbok captain. He's 33, you're 31. It makes you not that far removed from your playing days. I mean, there must come times when the two of you look at each other and think, man, we could get out there and do a better job. <laughs> Well, I won't say we say we can do a better job, but what we do tell each other, especially with like big games, like the one against the British Irish Lions, is we'll just look at it. We don't even have to say it to each other, but we both know, like, shit, it would be lucky to run out now and draw. Um, so we do get those moments. Uh, I must say, like, you know, myself and Wise is obviously good mates. Um, so it's lucky to do it together and have the forts together and to experience all these learnings. Because this last year and all was really tough in the sense of, Things change like this, a game is cancelled, or you've got a couple of positive cases, you have to problem solve the whole time. So it's lucky to go through this together. Um, myself and Wazen, obviously Coach Cash is, is also a couple of years older, that's not a lot of years older than us, but also young and, and good mates of us. So Mzwaki is also still a youngster, um, Philip Lemmer is still a youngster. So it's actually only Coach Shawnee Rasmus that's a bit older, but oh, you can't say old, but we call him the old Palerio Rasmus. But we're a young coaching group, and we've had a lot, a lot of trials this last year and a half. Give us a sense of what it's like to be to have been coaching rugby in the last year, um, Julian, or, or eighteen months. And maybe you've got to give us some examples of of the things you've had to go through as coaches, specific to COVID nineteen. I mean, some of the protocols and things you you know, besides obviously games getting called off at the last minute because of a positive test. You know, maybe give us some insight as to what goes on at the stadium that we perhaps as fans wouldn't see that you as coaches have to go through just to just to just to coach a rugby team. No, that's a good question. I think the beginning was obviously the when we were in a strict lockdown in the beginning. It was obviously we came back from Super Rugby Tour. That's not last year, March, so that's more than a year ago. That was tough because now you have to keep the guys motivated to train. But you don't have any foresight as to when rugby's going to start again, is rugby going to start again, then it was salary cuts. So to keep the guys motivated and, and positive at that time was, was the biggest challenge, I guess. Um, then we started coming in, then we could train in groups of five, if I remember correctly. That was the, the first way of, of training, is, is in groups of five, non-contact, no balls whatsoever, because you can't handle the ball, because then you have to wash the ball the whole time. So we had bins next to the field with... Um, sanitizers and you have to run with the ball and then sanitize it and then run with the ball. So then it went from groups of five to groups of ten and then we, then we could do contact training but with masks on. So you can imagine now the guys training with the mask. So, so as a coach you have to think of drills in groups of five that is still rugby related but no contact, no balls. So the drills we came up with were interesting and, and fun at the time. So that's a long time ago. I think if I can bring it back to now, is now every week, Monday or Tuesday, you, you get tested, COVID tested. Uh, then it's almost like picking a team and then waiting for the test results to come out. If the test results are there, the doctor has to do, if there's positive cases, have to do contract tracing, see who's been involved with that guy that, that might be a close contact, and then they are isolated. Then the rest of the team can train. And then, no, then if you clean on a, on a Tuesday, the guys that are clean will play that Saturday. And then the next week you wait for that test to come back. So we've been testing now every week since last year, every once a week. Um, the bubble was interesting now with, with the British and Irish line test. 
because I think we were tested five times in, in seven days um, to make sure you cleared the whole time. So, and then every time, like in the British Irish test, now there was one test that came positive. Then, uh, and my fortune wasn't a player, it was one of the management that wasn't involved with anyone. But then we had to wait in our rooms, everyone was in our rooms the whole time until we got the, then we had to test again, wait in our rooms for, I think it was from seven till two o'clock, the results came out. So two o'clock, everyone gets it. Okay, now we have to organize training. Now we have to, <laughs> have to like set busy. So you say that guys are program, you say guys, we don't know what time the results are going to come out. Be in your rooms until we let you know when you get the results. Got to organize meeting times, training times. Um, well, so it's it's problem solving the whole time. Tell me, have you uh, have you seen the impact on on the players from a mental point of view? I mean, you've now you've had sort of 15, 16 months of it. You've able to to look at perhaps the impact that COVID has had on the players from a mental point of view. You touched you touched on you know that that level of uncertainty. Has it impacted the players not knowing what's happening next? Almost. Yeah, I think there's big concerns the whole time because uh, the contract or the, the salaries was cut in the beginning of COVID. And I think that remains a, a, a stressful fact for everyone. Is is the salary going to be cut again? Because it obviously it takes a severe impact on, on your on your income. Um, so that's that remains a stress for the guys. And then obviously you know the rugby as a whole is not doing as well. So what is going to happen with my specific contract? Am I going to get a contract again? Am I going to get an increase or decrease? So I think the off-field stuff is really tough um, on the players. I must say, uh, luckily with rugby or any sport, you, it's a quite a positive environment because um, you, you, you train hard, and it's, it's almost like a feel-good environment where you train hard, and obviously when the results go your way, it's a, it's a nice feeling. So I think that gets the guys up mentally. But when you lose badly and things are unclear, and uh, uh, yeah, then I think it really does get tough, and then guys start stressing. And, and I could see this week now with the protest, you can see the guys are, you know, you. Because the guy you feel waffle for me and say, because she sees on the news, listen, how things CBD, Jobic CBD is chaos, protest. So now they phone you, are you okay? What's happening? So I, I, I think you'd be uh, naive to say it doesn't have an effect um, on, the, on the players and on their families. Because now you get home and your wife's stressed about what's happening in the country. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's. Naive to say that no, everyone in the country is not taking this effect. I think everyone's feeling it at the moment. Do you guys ordinarily, as coaches, would you socialise together? Besides, obviously, you know, take COVID nineteen away and uh, and social distancing. Are you guys a, a sort of a unit that socialises together, or is it purely just a work relationship that you guys have? No, I think it'll be interesting to hear what the players think. But <laughs> we enjoy the time together. So uh, because we're also young still, and, and I enjoy a Brian. And, and a beer. So whenever there's something like that arranged, obviously with COVID, I've made it tough. But we try to socialise with the players as much as possible. Because, uh, well, my personal opinion is, if if I care about you, I will look harder for you. Um, me as a player, the coaches that I felt care for me and spent time with me, I felt I would give them more of myself. Um, and it's not in a literal way, but but you know what I mean. Is subconsciously, yeah. Relationship. Yeah, subconsciously, once there's a relationship and there's trust between two parties, I think it's easier to give criticism. It's easier to take criticism. So I believe the the off-field socialising plays a role in that. Um, it's not the only way to do it, but 
he does play a role in it is to have good times together and, and not just talk work the whole time. Builds that relationship and builds a trust, which then in turn makes me, enables me to coach them better and, and enables them to take the info that I give in a better way. So no, it is something that we enjoy myself probably more than the other coaches, but, <laughs> but it is something that I, you know, I'll, I'll normally be one of the last guys there. Um, but you know, I just enjoy it. Got a little bit of FOMO as well, so I don't think that doesn't help. <laughs> so, so who, so who's the player equivalent in the Lions squad then of, of, of Julian Redlinghouse? If uh, if that's you on the coaching side, the last to leave, who's the who's the player that likes likes the party uh, as much as you do? Yes, there's actually a couple. Eh? Like Dylan Smith, I know you've chatted to him before. Dylan Smith is definitely the last guy there. Uh, Dan Grill. Well, Alan van der Sluis, um, Ruben Schumann, Ruan Dreyer. No, the, the players are way more than the coaches that time of the evening. So, no, the guys enjoy it. Even for you as well, the guys will be there last. Even a guy like Yanni Duplessis will have his times. But it's like, a, you know, for me, I enjoy it when a team um, enjoys a good time together as well. So we work hard together. But also when we have off time and we have time to enjoy each other, we, we do that hard as well. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it's lucky to see that. that I enjoy it. <laughs> did you have that with uh, when you played for the Springboks? Did you was that that sense? Uh, was there a similar approach? Was it taken a bit more seriously and a bit more professional? What are your recollections of your time with the box? And and did you have that sort of spirit then as well? Yeah, you know, I think I, I was there in two different years. I was there my first baby was with Annika Mayer, Coach Annika Mayer, but then I was like a light and still. So, and it was only for one tour. So, you know, there was a, that was still with like John de Villiers and uh, Victor Matthew, Brian O'Banner. They were all still joining at that time. So that was, uh, you know, there was a different culture back then. It was a bit more like that, more like, uh, what is gefestig? More like, uh, what is gefestig? I'm going to think of the English word now. Yeah, I'm not sure. My, my Afrikaans is a bit shaky, eh? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my English is shaky. No, but it was more like a, a set culture, if I can say yeah. like that. And then yeah. when 2016, when I played again, that was new because Coach Alistair just came in. And it was a new coaching staff with new players because that's when they changed the rule of the overseas guys can't play. Mm. So, so that was a that was an interesting time, and, and we didn't have that culture of everyone knowing each other well, um, and guys enjoying each other off the field as much. And it was still uh, uh, like new, and guys trying to find each other. So I think as that team grew, I think if you talk to the guys that were involved or are involved now, I think they'd say that is the culture now. I think the guys do enjoy the time off. Obviously, uncertain times right now, but um, you're 31, you're coaching at the Lions. Where would you like to see yourself in 10 years' time? Just it's a, it's a good question, a difficult question. I actually spoke to my dad this weekend, driving back from the farm, and, and said to Flipper, I really don't know. And I, I always in my life, as I grew up, I, I really studied hard. I did well in school, I did well in university, so I thought I was going to be a CA and had like my whole life planned out. And I did do my degree and I finished my um, CFP, uh, post, post-grad diploma. So I finished all of that and, uh, and I always thought I'm going to go into business and only did that. So played rugby as a platform to go into business. But now, yes, I don't know. To be honest, I'm just being 100% honest. I'm not sure where I'm going to see myself in 10 years. I am very faithful and, and, and religious. So 
I know that the Lord has good plans for me, so and and I believe that what needs to happen will happen, um, and that's why I believe I need to be in the country now because I didn't plan for it to happen. I didn't um, what do you call it? I didn't encourage it to happen. So it happened. So I know I've got to be there. There's a reason for it, and whatever will happen will happen. I do have the financial planning side that I'm not active in at the moment because the coaching just takes a lot of time, and we've got us like a small business um, with farming and a small business with property. So I really enjoy that side of things, the finance side of it. It's, it's something that I really enjoy. So I'm busy with it. I had a couple of meetings this morning. And then, so trying to build that side of life as well for post rugby. But I can't say, uh, maybe I'll still be involved in 10 years' time at rugby because I really enjoy the environment. And you know, I just really enjoy seeing guys making progress and becoming closer to their potential. I think that's my, that's my goal with rugby and in life is, is to see people get closer to the potential that they have. And the rugby is such a, uh, what do you call it, measurable. So you can see a guy and you work with a guy and you can see his improvement. And it's almost on a weekly basis. So I really enjoy that. That's, uh, that's, I think, the biggest kick I get out of rugby is to see the improvement in, in individuals and then see when the team's doing well and the guys are playing well. Yes, there's a massive satisfaction that comes from that. So yeah, long long answer short again. I'm not. I'm actually not sure at all where I'll be in ten years, but I know it's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable indeed. So he likes a beer and a braai, but not so much having to sanitise rugby balls. What he does seem to have though is a good outlook on life, and after what he's been through, that's pretty impressive. Hats off, Julian Redlinghouse.